Hi, everyone, and welcome to ePROcast. I am your host, Eugene Procopi, and I'm here to help to get you the insights of the sports industry and the business around it. Every week, I have professionals and entrepreneurs from the business of sports joining me and talk about their experience and story, as well as talking about trends in the industry and also helping provide opportunities to those who want to get into sports. First and foremost, I appreciate all your feedbacks and reviews of the podcast. It means a lot to me. I'm happy to document these and share with you all. In this episode, I'm talking to David Butler, who just started his new role as head of participation at British Equestrian. He just joined the organization after his role at England Basketball was terminated. He also went through all types of organizations within the industry, professional and nonprofit. So it will be really valuable to get his insight of what major differences are between these and how he felt in both shoes. Also, apologize for some background noise throughout the episode. So please, please, please stay tuned You'll really love the conversation as I did and hope you get a lot of value out of it. Without further ado, let's dive straight into it. Enjoy. So David Butler, thanks for joining to ePROcast. Very happy to have you here. Been for the past almost four years with Basketball England as a delivery director in competition side. Welcome to the show and just let's dive right into your story and your background. Yeah, well, as you say, I've, I've spent the last um, almost four years working at, at Basketball England. Um, really, really diverse role um, covering uh, competitions. So a lot of the, uh, the formal basketball activity um, development and increasing the number of, of coaches, officials, facilities uh, and improving our club uh, structures. And then also working on some really exciting participation uh, projects such as our um, partnership with the, with the NBA on the junior NBA, uh, our satellite clubs program, and then uh, a really exciting new product called Slam Jam, which is aimed at, um, at uh, primary aged um, pupils, so uh, children that are aged uh, 7 to 11. And, um, you know, about creating a love of the sport from a, from a very early age. And then in amongst all of that, um, we un- reintroduced the volunteer awards, done lots of work with the, the regional committees. And um, I was team leader for the uh, delegation at the Commonwealth Games in 2018, which uh, was a, an awesome experience from both a you know, developmental uh, point of view and, and and also just being there and, and being in that environment and, and of course the the women's team won a silver medal um which was you know the icing on the cake really for you know a great project unfortunately due to the covid situation your role was terminated right and uh, now you're looking for new opportunities as far as i understand yes yeah, so i'm currently unemployed and, and looking for new opportunities so um doing you know got some some ideas or uh, the things that I can be doing and I'm in discussion with some governing bodies about roles that they may have available in the, the future and uh, you know we'll uh, we'll see what the future holds really but right now um, you know I'm at home like everybody else is in the UK and uh, mixing my time between um, getting all of the jobs done around the house that I probably should have been doing for the last 10 years and homeschooling the children and making sure that 
you know they're using their time productively to uh, you know to keep them on track for when they go back to school absolutely and and a lot of a lot of listeners will will uh, feel uh, in your shoes as you know uh, this podcast is really meant for someone who wants to primarily meant for someone who wants to get into the industry and uh, don't know where to start so i think i think it's going to bring a lot of value from from your perspective as you are in kind of those shoes at the moment but definitely you got some experience behind you and uh, 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 touch basing the uh, the experience prior to basketball to basketball england besides besides that you were involved in educating match officials in rugby league if you can give an insight uh what it takes to 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 be uh one of educators and what are the main challenges in this role yeah so i so i i worked in in rugby league for some time i had um four seasons at the uh, semi-professional club sheffield eagles and then I had a, uh, a year working in Rugby Union uh, with the Doncaster Knights managing their community programme. And then I went to work for the Rugby Football League, which is the, the governing body for Rugby League in, in this country. And I had a number of, of different roles there as uh, in development and, and uh, participation. But alongside that, I trained to be a, um, a referee in 2006 after I'd stopped playing rugby. And... At the time, I, I did the course because I thought that, um, you know, I might be able to referee a few games and, and help out the league where I uh, where I live to, um, you know, to when, when they're short. Uh, and what actually happened was is 14 years later when I hung up the whistle, hung up my boots, was uh, I'd been to seven or eight different countries as a match official. I'd refereed loads of local finals and um you know representative games i've had the honor of um refereeing two euro b uh, games for the rugby league european federation and you know really had a fantastic experience out of it and along that way i was asked to become part of a, a panel of educators who were tasked with managing a cluster of of match of, of countries in europe and developing their um, their match officials and m- most importantly their tutor network so my first cluster was uh, Denmark and uh, Germany which neither of which are you know big rugby league playing nations um, and you know the first task was to make sure that the the people that were in charge of the officials were good officials so had a weekend in Copenhagen where we trained or retrained all of the officials um, with the, the Rugby League European Federation's match officials course. And then um, as part of that weekend, we gave them some instruction and some ideas on how they could deliver um, their own courses and, and good ideas. So lots of, of sort of visual aids and obviously trying to overcome uh, some language barriers at, at times. And then the final part of that weekend was that the the guys that were training to be tutors then did some instruction of of new match officials in in Denmark. So that was lots of fun. And then we did a follow up uh, session in Germany for the cluster, where we really developed the the skills of the tutors and and we developed uh, we delivered a course to about a dozen of the German national team or or players from. Uh, the German league, and it was really, 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 really insightful. Um, you know, to see how the 
the guys were doing that. So that's some really practical sides of that. And then around around the project as well, um, I did some work in Serbia with uh, their group of officials. So we did a, a review of an international game and picked out um, areas of development for the officials that took part in the game. But obviously, they you know, picked out the theme for the rest of the uh, the group there as well. Uh, the same in the Ukraine. And what I've also done then is helped out with other officials that are in that development pool by watching their videos and sending them thoughts on games and things to, to help them improve. So you know, by no means have I been uh, you know, at the top end of, of the match officiating tree. You know, there's, there's lots of, of guys that are, have done um, professional games and, and lots of things I never managed to achieve in my career. Uh, but what I have tried to do is give something back to the, the people that are on their journey and starting out and helping them to, uh, you know, to go, go forward. So, Right. Personally, I'm, I'm doing same same thing for uh, World Rugby and mostly uh, developing the new match officials as well as current match officials in, in my area around Moldova, you know, Ukraine, Turkey, even, you know, parts of Russia and so on. And um, the main uh, key takeaways from that is this really helps. And I, and I encourage the, uh, the listeners, if you're good at something, just take some moments to give back. I think it's really important to share your knowledge and your expertise in something and uh, help others as well to, to, to grow. And uh, if you have this kind of opportunities, like in your case with the Euro Rugby League Federation, in, in my case, it's been uh, World Rugby and Rugby Europe, I think it's really important to, to do this kind of, uh, of stuff. Definitely. And I think, you know, for people that are, you know, in anything that you are doing and learning, um, lots of people give you advice, um, but the advice isn't always the same. So you've got to try and work out what works best um, for you as an individual. So obviously there's there's policies and and laws and and interpretations of of, of laws and rules that you know you should always follow as the the governing body or the confederation is asking you to. But you know there'll always be little things where um, whether that's your running technique or your uh, you know your player management, there will always be. Um, you know, things that you could do slightly differently. And I think you have to, you know, best use those different pieces of advice to, to find your style, not just try and copy the next person as well, because uh, it, it doesn't work. Some of the guys from the audience are, and then myself a few years ago, I've been confused and even now, you know, growing and a lot of people are, don't know which side, which way to go whenever they want to choose a career path, either, you know, for example, for, for for profit, non-profit, professional, professional sports, and so on. You work for uh, you work both in uh, for profit at Sheffield Eagles Rugby League Football Club and Doncaster Rugby Club, and also on the flip side, you worked in non-profit, the RFL and Basketball England. What is the difference you felt between those two types of areas of the of the, this business, and also which one impact, impacted you more positively, and which one you enjoyed the most? Wow. Uh, well, I think I mean I think working in a professional club environment is um, certainly in a semi-professional rugby league club is uh, is really really gratifying because you no two days are the same. You 
um, you're always learning. You're always um, you're always finding something new to do. And you know, the club at the time when I worked there, I think there were five of us worked there full time. So you know, you you didn't have huge departments of of people to do different jobs. You know, if if somebody something needed doing, you you generally did it yourself. So it was good because you you know I developed lots of different skills and interests around a whole array of areas. So you know I I built a website which um, you know I never thought I would do um, and until I learned how to do it myself. You know I used to um, edit the the match day program. So you know taught myself a lot about creative writing and and the media side of things. Had some good support from the governing body um, with that. Um, but also managing events and commercial events and, and running match days as well, as well as you know, having some super white-hot administration at times uh, as well, mixed in with a little bit of finance. It was a real great start to my uh, career. And uh, you know, I'll never forget uh, being given the opportunity uh, you know, by, by the Eagles and them having the faith in me straight out of university to, uh, to come and do the job that they wanted me to do. Um, at the time, um, but it's, it's you know it's, it always sounds really glamorous, but there's not a lot of money in um, semi-professional sport, so you know you're always trying to um, always trying to seek a, a sponsor or find you know a way of saving some money or getting some more money out of a, a potential partner as well. So it was um, you know it was it wasn't particularly glamorous um, glamorous. Uh, role but it was certainly exciting um and i think that's possibly the main difference between working for a semi-pro club and then a national governing body of sport um you know the at the time i worked at the rugby league i think there were nearly 200 maybe more people worked there very defined departments you know we had a you wanted something doing in the media or marketing wise there was a group of people that would, would you know would be able to advise and and lead on that for you. And likewise, you know, the finance department handled all the money. It wasn't a case of uh, doing your own accounts and things. So, um, you know, obviously this, the, the government investment that comes in, um, you know, for a lot of the, the projects that was, was delivered was, was quite sizable as well. So you know, it was very, very interesting being able to work with a budget and having uh, money to actually make things happen as opposed to solely relying on uh, goodwill of, of volunteers and, uh, you know, trying to do things for free. So I think, you know, that's the main difference, um, really. You know, the, uh, you know, is having a plan and being able to execute it uh, right. in a national governing body. Which part, the non-profit or, or uh, the semi-pro or pro sport that you've been through was more rewarding call it this way because you said for a non-profit you're more managing budgets which you know like more on the spending side you know trying to spend uh less so at the end of the year you yeah. have something less you retain that or yeah you know retain or reinvest in, in growth of sports uh which is the main mission of of, of a federation what about in pro or semi-pro uh environment you're trying to also bring more money <laughs> so which is which is interesting yeah, and I think I mean I think the main thing in the the club environment is is you everything you do is geared towards the game day at the weekend, mm-hmm. you know. So we would run, for example, three golf days a year, and we would run a number of dinners uh, in the evenings and 
luncheons to to raise funds and we'd have a lottery that would generate nearly two hundred thousand pounds a year in in subscriptions and we'd do all these sort of things you know raffle at christmas and it was all about generating money but ultimately that was about giving our coach the best uh budget that we could provide to um put the best team out on the field to ultimately go out and perform at the weekend and and try and um you know win in the league and you know very very satisfying knowing that you're contributing to to that side of things so you know and the team wins at, at the weekend or as happens you know wins the league gets promoted uh, you know which, which which Sheffield did when I was there in 2006 you know I played no part in their on-field success you know that's all down to the coaches and the players but you know the off-field success helps the um you know helps to to make uh, you know create the budget and make um what happens on the field a reality so you know that's that's really gratifying and really rewarding but at the same time you know being involved in in the the, the sort of community side of the sport and and delivering um a lot of the activities that we ran uh at both through rfl and at, at basketball and seeing you know hundreds and thousands at times of young people's faces enjoying sport escaping their you know, lives into sport, sport ch- changing their fortunes and um, giving them better, uh, you know, better experiences in life was was just as as rewarding as well. So I think it's very difficult to choose between them, but I do like winning things. Really, then in 2018, when when that women's team won the, the silver medal, and you know, the team invited me and some of the staff to be part of the uh, the winning team photograph and I would say that was probably a, a career highlight. I was, I was very proud to be there and involved in that. As I mentioned a little bit before, a lot of uh, the listeners are falling into a younger uh, younger generation and um, as myself, I love of uh, competition, game day and so on. If you can uh, share more about this kind, this experience within Basketball England, uh, you mentioned Junior NBA, which is which is really awesome competition when when it, when it comes to giving an opportunity to the younger generation to you know to be the future stars. But also, what challenges are you have you have you been facing during your role at Basketball England when it comes to competition or events? I think the biggest challenge. In, and this isn't just related to, to basketball, this is in general, in the school side of things, is that schools are being more and more challenged now with their exam results, so they, their performance in English and maths and science. And, um, you know, as a result of that, the, the days of, of um, lots of sports competitions and kids travelling for home and away fixtures in different leagues for sports are, you know, passing us by now. So I think the biggest challenge has been um, making sure that sport is still accessible and um, deliverable in a format that, that schools can still embrace and, and be part of um, and slot in alongside the, you know, the rest of their other pressures. And I think, you know, a lot of governing bodies are going to struggle in the next few um, in the next couple of years, really. So you know, the school where the schools have been closed now for eight to nine months, unfortunately, I think a lot of head teachers are going to focus on improving their maths, English and science skills that, that the kids have been missing out of 
during this time as opposed to focusing their energies on on PE and sports. So I think that's that's probably been one of the biggest challenges. Um, but I think as well in in the UK, and again, this this isn't solely related to basketball. Um, the size of the the country is is big, and people's time is more important to them. And you know, people are finding it difficult to um, finance their sport as well. So um, you know, travel distances, uh, costs of of taking part in in competition, and um, you know, the commitment that 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 takes. You know two or three training nights a week, a game day that, that potentially takes you to the house all day. Um, you know, those, those, they're really challenging for people to, you know, to take part at a, a high level of, of sport for recreation. So, you know, they're, they're, they're two things I would really cite. What is the biggest downside whenever, because we're trying, you know, to, to, to help the listeners not to uh, bump through the same, uh, maybe failures or, or downsides that you've, potentially faced these sports and games are not possible without players right and uh one of your main missions was to increase participation so we have more competitions what is the toughest side whenever put it whenever following this mission i think the things that i've experienced over my career would be balancing the competitiveness of 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 games with uh travel and um and cost. So, for example, when I was working in the in the Midlands region for the Rugby Football League, um, in the the senior men's competition had between uh, eight and twelve teams in it. But you know, with eight and twelve teams, you've not got a lot of room for when when one team becomes really good and another team may not be as good. You know, you can get some imbalance in the in the the, the competitiveness there. So then. You know, the better teams want games that they're going to test them more, but the chances are they have to travel further in order to do that. And I certainly remember we we developed a competition across the whole of the south of England um, for um, rugby league teams who who felt that they were good enough to you know to aspire to that level to play in. And the feedback was was great. You know, we're getting competitive games every week, but we're going through. 30, 40 players a season because we can't get a group of, of 20 people to be able to commit to the travel distances every week and to the the training that it requires as well. So they, they've been the, really the biggest challenges. So I think the, you know, the thing that would have solved that is having more teams in a local a local uh, area because you, you can iron out your... your um, imbalances there with the competitiveness so i think you know real um a real uh, focus for any governing body now would be on on you know developing as much gameplay opportunity on a local basis as they can um which allows the, the players to access the sport um you know in their locality takes out all of the the, the hassles of travel and cost um, but gives them a really good experience as well, and there's some great ex- there's some great examples of that in in all sorts of sports across across the UK, where you know that local league or a central venue league is you know is ticking all the boxes for people, and then the players that are really good or are good enough to get paid for uh, you know for, for for what they do can spend a little bit more time on the bus and, and traveling around.
a big part of your experience was uh, in community management. Let's jump in here and educate a little bit our listeners on what community management is all about. Why it is an attractive, because personally for me, it's an attractive and awesome yeah, awesome niche within sports sports industry. Yeah, so I think, I think first of all, sport, your know, professional sport has an obligation to serve the community in which it operates. And what we've seen certainly in the UK over the last 20 years or so is a real um, spike in, in that. So every major football uh, club now has a charitable foundation attached to it, as do all the, the major rugby union clubs, rugby league clubs, um, and um, the, the, certainly the cricket clubs as well in this country. And the the charities generally exist to deliver uh, activity for that sport, but also a range of interventions, whether that's health, whether it's education, whether it's um, crime prevention, or um, or uh, per, you know personal safety messages and things. So um, you know delivering those sorts of activities in in their community, uh, but using the power of the the brand of the community club, uh, sorry, of the, the the professional club to really reinforce that that message and also uh, get the kids excited about what it is they're doing. So. Um, a great example from my career would be when I worked at, at the Doncaster Knights, we partnered with um, an organisation called Network Rail. Um, so for a few of your listeners that aren't familiar with the UK, um, Network Rail manages the infrastructure of our railways. And then we have a separate series of companies who actually manage the, the trains and the, uh, the transport network. But the actual infrastructure is managed by Network Rail. And one of their... Um, key challenges is during the summer holidays is, is stopping children from playing uh, and, and trespassing on the on the railway network so we partnered with um, network rail to deliver a series of, of uh, interventions to educate young people in schools around Doncaster which has a lot of uh, rail um, connections um, about the dangers of trespassing on the railways uh, but also then introducing them to to tag rugby union and to um you know try and encourage them to take part in some sports and some physical activity so that they didn't get bored in the summer holidays and obviously turn to the activities that you know young young children get involved in when they uh, when they are bored such as trespassing on the railways or uh, you know vandalizing the, the railway network so um, you know, it's, it, it sounds quite simple, but the you know, the output of it was lots of lots of kids in the town were introduced to the sport. We were able to give away tickets to games, which uh, introduced them to the professional club, and also you know increased the attendances for some of those games. They obviously brought their families along as well, which was um, which was you know great to sort of give them a. You know, a, a day out where the the whole family could get involved as well. So, you know, aside from that, I was involved in in similar schemes at, at Sheffield as well. But um, we we ran a very nice um, program called Tackle Health, which was um, targeting child obesity and um, and educating children about good eating habit, habits alongside their um, sporting side of things as well. And 
and it was it was good for the club because we we managed to get a, a sponsor to provide some money for that the local national health service charity provided us with some resources and some uh, expertise to help us you know make the resources for the for the schools really interesting uh, as well and um you know i, I think it it um you know just goes to show that the, the the sport can pay back to its local community by you know by uh, um helping to keep young people fit I had uh, John Dutton from uh, Rugby League World Cup earlier uh, on, on, on the show and uh, he shared about what they do at Rugby League World Cup and really um, we're switching from that old uh, model of sustainability as being, you know, like whenever you only donate to a charity and you never know what's happening with that and, uh, and the community is just not really embracing that whenever... And now we're moving to to the new model, which is more of of leaving a legacy and really creating that connection with your community, doing something physically or or helping the community grow, even if that's from sports side or from education or from health things and so on. So I think that's really important. What's, what are your thoughts on The Last Dance if you had a chance to, to watch it? I haven't watched it yet. I have to be honest. Um, we've been watching... Uh, Ozark and Last Kingdom uh, on Netflix and then uh, big fans of a, a show which has been on the BBC but it's originally uh, produced in Ireland uh, which is called Ordinary People um, but I've not watched The Last Dance yet and I also want to watch the, the other uh, sports show I want to watch is The English Game as well which I, I understand talks about the development of um, of how football was, was codified as a as a sport in in this country as well uh, in the 1800s so yeah I've, I've, I've got to up my game in terms of uh, television watching which you know as an unemployed person at this point you'd think i'd be doing plenty off but um yeah i'm not <laughs> there's actually more work to to do when you're not yeah. unemployed so <laughs> what are the top your top three skills or tips and tricks to to a to a person or to a young guy or whoever wants to get into the industry or or switch make that transition towards sports industry that's a good question i've got um a a guy that came to basketball england to work for us about 18 months or so ago now and he'd come straight from university he was looking for his first role in 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 sport and and things and uh yeah saw quite a lot of myself in him really uh 17 18 years ago when i first started working so actually had a similar discussion with him uh, after about six months, so I think the this was assuming that you've already got a job in the industry. Um, I think my you know my top three things will be first of all is if you you know if you're young and if you've got the opportunity, get as much experience in different aspects of of sport that you can, because it's not always uh, amazingly resourced in sport. So if you can you can do five or six different things really well, then you're going to be more valuable than then uh, somebody can only do one thing uh, really well. I think my second tip um, would definitely be where you work in a sport that um, you whether you, whether you work in a sport that you're familiar with or not is to connect with the with the participants. And um, you remember being at the Rugby Football League and uh, we had a great team uh, of staff who 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 did a lot of the administration, but very rarely got out to see the sport take place and and during the 
it was during the, um, the Festival of World Cups in 2013. Um, I had a lot of the, the staff came to support some of the events. And I remember taking one colleague down onto the side of the pitch to watch the New Zealand women's team perform the hacker. And she was absolutely gobsmacked by it. She'd never seen anything like it before. And she sat and she watched the game and she was enthralled by it. And at the end of it, she said, you know, she'd forgotten that all the work she did in the week was, was helping people have a great time at the weekend. So it really connected her back to the sport. So that, that would be my second thing is, you know, don't, don't lose sight of, of the work that you're doing because it's not always fun in sport. Sometimes it's, it's very political. Sometimes, uh, you know, it's very challenging for, for lots of reasons. But ultimately, there's, you know, people are having fun on the, the back of the work that you're doing. So, so don't lose sight of that. And then I think the, um, the third thing would be... Um, you know, all remember that the, the network, of, uh, the, the industry in sport is is quite small still. So, um, you know, always uh, always remember that you know you, you will know somebody who knows somebody else. So, you can ask a question and, and get an answer. You know, don't try and um, reinvent the wheel or try and solve problems yourself before you've asked other people around their experiences. And you know, generally, my uh, experience in sport is that people have shared, um, sh- you know, shared solutions to challenges. They, you know, people are very generous with uh, offering thoughts and and um, and help because ultimately we're we're probably only in competition with each other for that sort of sixty minutes, eighty minutes, ninety minutes, however long your game lasts for uh, a week. The rest of the time, you know, I think as sports people, we we just want the nation to be to be fit and healthy and you know we all want to unite behind our respective countries doing well in in their international competition as well so uh, you know i think the thing just to summarize would be always ask for help and if you're asked for help make sure you pay it pay it back as well absolutely i mean i think synergy in sports industry is crucial and uh i think everyone will get value out of uh out of this uh these skills that you just shared and uh and you know, use them for for further endeavors. Now it's time for our uh, words association game. So oh, uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'll name something or someone, and you just say first thing that comes to your mind, right? Okay. Michael Jordan. Basketball. All Blacks. Rugby. The NBA. Great organization. Spalding. Well, <laughs> they're not Wilson balls. <laughs> really? Well, okay. I have, just to clarify, I mean, the, during my time at Basketball England, I was involved in the, the ball tender and we selected Wilson as our new ball partner. So even though I don't work there anymore, I've still got some uh, some loyalty to uh, to the guys at Wilson Sporting Buds. Fair enough. Well, unfortunately, or fortunately, I don't know. After thirty-seven, eight years, the NBA uh, changed their official basketball of the game. That's so that's right. that's interesting. And last but not least, rugby union. Well, it was the first sport I played. So um, first team sport that I played. So childhood. Good. Awesome, David. Thank you so much for uh, joining me on this call and on this episode. And, you know, it's I'm sure a lot of guys will get a little clarity on their path uh, whenever they want to choose something. And hopefully they got a lot of value out of it. If last few words before we disconnect for everyone, for all the listeners out there. Yeah, well, firstly, uh, apologies for the, the background noise, but uh, 
being the ability to have a shower after two months is uh, you know is just too important uh, for me. But no, thank you very much for having me uh, on the show. Um, I think it's I always find these um, things a little bit awkward, really, because um, you know I'm not like I don't think of myself as some sort of guru or uh, you know expert with all the all the answers. I've just uh, just been doing what I do for 17, 18 years and really enjoying it. So you know, hopefully, if somebody else decides on a career in sport, they can take that in this, if, if nothing else. Right. You have an awesome story, and that's why I think a lot of people will be happy to listen to this one. And uh, David, thanks again, and uh, good luck with your uh, future uh, opportunities. I'm sure that a good specialist, a good professional in the industry always has a place in the industry. So good luck with that. Stay safe during these tough times. A little bit challenging, but we're all going to get back on track and, uh, you know, it's going to get only better from now on. Thanks again for joining. Thank you. That's it. Episode's over. I hope you got a lot of value out of it. Please, 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 please leave reviews of this podcast and give context to other listeners why this is worthwhile their time. And stay safe. And I'm really looking forward to the next one. Have an awesome week, guys.